Hey, first thing I just want to, is, is George Richak here? Where's George? Is George out here? So I think he's, is, where, there he's in the corner. We just want to, he doesn't know we're doing this. We just want to say thank you to George. He's uh, served eight years on York County Board of Supervisors, and we just have a little gift for him that we want to give to him and say thank you for his service to our community all these eight years. So thank you, George. Yes, indeed. They were a part of the plant team uh, that came from Williamsburg uh, to start this church uh, 10 years ago. And, uh, and so we're so thankful that they have served in so many ways uh, here at City Life and then how he's faithfully served our community these, these last eight years. So all right, a couple of other things too. I, I just want to encourage people that you need to be with us at this prayer service on Wednesday. Can I just, can I just challenge you in that way? I, we're, all of us are busy. I get it. I, we're, 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 we all have things to do. I'm just saying, take 90 minutes out of your schedule to come and, and, and pray with us. So it's going to be participatory. We're going to have prayer stations that are set up. There's going to be worship. Uh, the North Riverside Baptist Church, where we rent space, they're going to be coming out and joining us. So there's just power in that about two churches, two different denominations, two different theological streams coming together with one voice to petition God for our peninsula. And so I hope that you'll come. There's childcare. Uh, if you've got uh, kids in Revolution Church like we do, you can drop them off and then come join us there uh, for the, the prayer service. So I hope you take time to join me in that. Hey, the other thing I want to talk to you about before we dig into the message tonight is that there's a family that's been coming to the church. They came uh, around the first time uh, that first year that we did, Warren and Sandy Matthews. And uh, I'll never forget the story. I was joking with Warren about it last week that when they first started coming, our kids were trying to, to, to describe him. They, they had a question about this, this, this family that had just started to come. And, and, uh, and, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they were, they, I couldn't quite understand who they were describing. So finally they said, it's the old guy with the really cool shoes. Because, because Warren, he's, you know, he's of a season of life of being a grandpa, and, uh, and yet he wears Vans. So, so, uh, and so that was how my kids knew him, the old guy who wears the, the cool shoes. So there's a slide that's going to pop up now. They have a, uh, a GoFundMe page. We're going to be talking about their family uh, for the next three weeks, is that uh, Warren has uh, been diagnosed with Louis bodies. Uh, it's a condition. It's a neurological condition. There's no cure for it, and it's degenerative. Uh, my father suffered from this same condition when he had uh, Parkinson's. I, I think the best way I could describe it to you, it, it, it's Alzheimer's cousin, if that helps you. It's a little bit different, uh, but very much the same. And so Sandy has had to stop work to be a full-time caregiver for Warren. And uh, so just as a church, we want to say we want to do something to bless them. And so there's a GoFund page that you can go to, gofundme.com forward slash Warren Matthews. Uh, but we're also going to be doing an offering at our anniversary service at the end of this month that the IRS makes allowances for you to do a designated gift uh, for a family in crisis through a church. And so you can make those checks payable to City Life Earmark at Warren Matthews, and it'll go in in your giving record. So you can do it either of those ways. So you can bring that gift and put it in the offering at our anniversary service, uh, or you can do this. And I would encourage you to put this on your Facebook page. Come on. Right? Go on here. Take a screenshot. Put it on your Instagram. Other people, uh, we want to get behind this family. They have been so faithful to God uh, throughout their lives, and, uh, and so we want to love on them good. Come on. In the season that they're walking in. So Father, we just lift Warren and Sandy up to you tonight. God, we, we pray that they would feel your embrace in this season like they never have before. 
We know that there is trouble and hardship that sometimes you lead us into in this life that leads us questioning. But the one thing, the one thing that we never have to question, just as Chris talked about as we were worshiping together, is that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So in the, in the midst of this time, oh God, we, feel, we pray that your embrace would hold them so tight that their hearts would be filled with your comfort and love. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen, amen. So we are uh, in our final three weeks of a series that we've been doing together called The Heart of the Magi. We've been looking at the Magi, the wise men out of the Christmas story. Uh, we, I, I knew that we weren't going to fit this into just December, and so we're bringing Christmas all the way into July. We actually still have a Christmas tree up at our house on our back porch. Our, I was out there sweeping in the, the back porch this morning, and my neighbor came over and said, are, are, are you guys ever going to take that Christmas tree down? And I said, I, I think we're actually going to leave it up. And she said, oh, good, because I love looking out my window and seeing it out there. It's beautiful. And so, so we're, we're still bringing a little bit of our Christmas here at City Life with this series. We're not done with it yet, so we're going to do it this week and for the next two weeks. And part of this series, the heart of the Magi, has been asking three questions using the kind of the metaphor of their journey. We've talked about where do I begin, and we, and we, and we talked about that. And then and we spent some time talking about what do I bring bring, this idea of that they brought a financial gift, that's part of God's intention in making that central in the story of the birth of Christ. So we talked about what do I bring, and, and let me just say, I wasn't going to talk about this till next week, but I'm so excited about it, that last year when the finance team put together the budget for 2015, we said, let's believe God that, by the, that when we get to the end of the year, that we're going to have a $25,000 surplus in giving. Now, we always have a surplus in giving a surplus of cash from underspending our budget. Does that make sense? There's always surplus cash from underspending our budget. But we said on top of that, let's believe God for $25,000 in surplus surplus giving. And so I sent a, a, a text out to the, the governance team and the finance team. I just saw the final numbers just this morning, just this morning. And, and so you know, you know what the number was? 24,400, come on, in surplus giving for 2015. I know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so, so the reason that exists is because you understand what we spent time talking about. There's a material response that we're supposed to have to Christ, and we're so thankful that people that call City Life Church their home, that they practice this idea of generosity that the Bible calls us to. And so we spent some time talking about that. And where we're going to pick up tonight and then talk about it for the next three weeks is this idea of, of how I travel or how far have I come. You see, the, the Magi were, 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 were men of a priestly class who studied the stars who lived in a faraway place. We don't know exactly where they were from. There's lots of theories on where that would be. The two most prevailing theories are, is one that they came from Persia, which would be modern-day Iran, and there is a, a, another one, a close second, is that they came from Sheba. You might remember that the queen of Sheba came and spent time, and Solomon was teaching her uh, a wisdom, but also about Judaism. And, and, and one of the reasons why these two places uh, have such a, 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 a viability, I guess you could say, to them is that the men who came, as you read the story in the gospel, seem to have some idea or an understanding that there would be a king who would be born to Israel who was going to be a savior, this idea of a messiah. Now, one of the reasons why it's believed that they came from Persia is because Daniel spent time in exile, come on, in Babylon, and that it's believed that he would have taught people there 
about this idea of the coming of a Messiah. And it's believed that throughout those decades that there were a group of people that passed down the knowledge of what Daniel taught them, and that when they saw the star, they understood that this was the coming of the king. Same thing with Sheba, which is modern-day Yemen, that, that, that when the queen of Sheba came and said under Solomon's teaching that he would have talked to her about the coming of a king. So whichever one you pick, or there are some other thoughts that are out there, all of them come to the same conclusion. They had to travel a great distance. Most people believe that it would have taken about two years for them to make the journey from where they started to where they ended up. Now, I think that was intentional by God. I think He wanted there to be a part of the Christmas story, uh, uh, an analogy given to us of, of, of having to travel a long way with great risks, sometimes at your own peril, at your own expense, to find your way to the destination that God called you to be. You might look at that distance nowadays and say, well, that doesn't seem too far. Think about how far it was 2,000 years ago when you had to ride on a camel to get there, right? How dangerous it would have been for them. How expensive it would have been. The leaving their families, it, if it took them two years to get there, guess how long it probably took them to get back? Four years being away from everything that they knew and everything that they loved because they had this sense of calling and destiny to get. I love the fact that it was far away and it took them a long way. Now, why, why do I like that? Because when I think about who Jesus is and I think about who I am today, can I just say to you, there's a great distance between me and who He is. There's a great distance between you and who He is. And who He is is the destination that we're called to get to. There's so much about our lives that we don't share. There's so much about your story that's going to be different from my story. But for every person who's ever made a vow of devotion to Christ, no matter what you're called to do or where you're called to be or what the, the, the destiny that God has for you, we all share in this one thing. We're supposed to become more like Christ throughout our lives. And it's a long journey. And it's going to take a long time for us to get there. But all of us should be willing to say, I want to cover some ground. I hope that one of your resolutions that you're making in 2016 is you want to cover more ground than you did last year and getting closer to the person that God's called you to be by the measure of the standard of Jesus Christ. How do I travel? Let's talk about that tonight. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 13. Verse 13. If you've got you version, you can go on there. This is a live event. All the verses self-populate in there in that app. You can use it for Android uh, or an Apple phone. It's great technology. Colossians 3, 13. It's talking about these verses with our leadership team coming uh, through to the end of the year. And, and so I just want to talk about them with you. There's some powerful things that we can learn about this journey that we're supposed to be on, the ground that we're supposed to cover in becoming more like Christ. Colossians 3.13, make allowance. This is Paul writing here. Listen, make allowance for each other's faults. It, it, it just, it's comforting, isn't it? Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, we like that verse because it comforts us. It says, hey, I, I don't have to be perfect. There, there's, a, there's a grace for me in this, this, this idea of covering some ground to, to, to close the gap between me and Christ. But, but that's not the only verse that appears in Colossians 3. Let me read you some other things that he says. Because verses 5 through 10, he says this, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. 
worshiping the things of this world, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and, and, and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. It seems that these two things do not belong together, does it not? At one point, Paul's saying, it's okay. Make, make room for each other's faults. But just before that, he says, hey, stop doing that enough already. Just quit it. Now, is it Paul's got a little schizophrenia problem here? He's writing the Bible? I don't think so. I think we're learning something about this journey. I think he's teaching us something profound about the ground that we're supposed to cover and how we're supposed to get there. Listen to, listen to verse 10. He says, put on your new nature. In some translations, it renders put on the new man and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator. And I'm going to talk about this a little more, but I want to hit it again in Ephesians 2 because Paul's writing another letter to another church in the ancient city of Ephesus in Ephesians 4.2. Now, now listen to this. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. What does he say? Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but if you're a note taker, if you're following along in you version, you'll see that I've got in there that you can compare verses 20 to 32 to Ephesians 4.2, and it's the same thing as when you compare Colossians 3.13 to verses 5 through 10. Paul has this huge list in the book of Ephesians where he says, stop doing this. Enough already. You know better. You've got no excuse for doing these things that you're not supposed to be doing. Then he says, make room. For one another's faults. Be patient and gracious with each other. Paul's not talking about making room for sin. Paul's talking about making room for the amount of time that it takes for people to change. Forgiveness of sin is not permission to sin. So when Paul talks about making room for one another's faults, he's not saying make room in your belief system for people to do things that you know they're not supposed to do because it's just hard to change. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, change. You know truth. It's time for you to walk away from who you used to be and start becoming the person that God's created you to be. It involves stopping doing the things that you shouldn't do. It involves starting to do some things that you should do. But transformation and change is hard, just like the journey of the Magi. It took them great distance. It took them time. It's arduous at times. Making room for one another's faults is about making room for the time that it takes for people to change. Be gracious with each other. We're supposed to travel with a sense of grace towards others and ourselves. Part, part, how I travel on this journey of becoming like Christ is I have to walk with grace. Grace that I extend to myself, grace that I extend to other people. But I also like this phrase where he says, put on the new man. Where, where he says, put, put on the, the new nature. So I have a confession to make. I'm a shopper, and I'm a guy. And if you make fun of me, I also have a concealed carry permit, just for the record. 
I saw somebody post, I don't remember who it was on, on Facebook. Oh, it's a, a friend of mine that I grew up with in, in, uh, in Verona, just east of Richmond, is that uh, um, these, they, 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 they kind of liked each other in high school and then and spent years apart. I'm almost 50. I think she's just a, a couple of years younger than I am. But now they found each other and later in life, and I saw him post, I've, I've just discovered one of my favorite things to do is to shop with my wife. I'm like, come on, because I like to shop with my wife. I'm the one that Vanessa says, can we hurry up already? Right? So we used to watch this show. I don't even know if it's still on. And uh, back years ago, we used to watch the show What Not to Wear. Anybody ever watch that show What Not to Wear? Does it still on? Is it still on? So in this show, what they do is they, they bring in this couple who, who know about style and know about dress, and they might not like the fact that I'm wearing Birkenstocks with my, my blazer, but they're just going to have to get over that. I think if girls can wear jeans with holes in them and call them boyfriend jeans, that I should be able to wear Birkenstocks with my blazer. Can I, I'm, just throwing it, I'm just putting it out there. Because I'm the only boyfriend that I know of that my wife has, and those are not my pants, just for the record. Those are not my pants. All right. I had to get that in there. I'm going to pay for that later. That's all right. It was worth it. <clears throat> it's a points-based system, guys, and I just lost some points. All right. I'm going to make up for that tomorrow. So in this show, they, they, they follow this person around, and they don't know they're being followed around, and they take film, they take footage of them and how they, how they dress, right? And, 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 and so then they pull them in. It's kind of like a clothes intervention. And they pull them in, they show them the footage, and they're saying, you know, how, what, what is wrong with you? How can you go out in public looking like this? And so they, they've got their wardrobe on these portable racks, and they bring it in, and they literally begin to go through their clothes and throw them in a garbage can right? In a trash can. And they're like, no, I need that. And they're like, no, you don't. And like, well, my mother gave that to me. And they're like, well, she shouldn't have because she had no fashion sense, right? They're just, they're unforgiving. And then they give them money and they teach them how to shop and they do this huge makeover. I love that show. You know one of the reasons I love that show? Because that's what God wants to do for us. We have what's called a character closet. A character closet. And the Holy Spirit wants to go through the rack and say, oh, this, this belongs in the trash can. I think sometimes he might say, I, I can't even touch that. Some angels are going to have to get in here and remove that, right? What does your character closet look like, and are you in need of a makeover? That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, put on the new man. It's, it's language that they understood. It's language that we understand. He's saying just like you get dressed and pick out clothes that you're going to wear, give the same focus and intentionality to your character. And you've got a new wardrobe that you've got to learn to get used to because of who Jesus is now inside of you. So we've got to travel with grace, and we've got to travel with an expectation for transformation. We've got to travel with grace. We've got to travel with expectation that there's going to be transformation. All right, let's keep going. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father. And listen to what it says. And He's going to judge all the people that ignored Him according to their deeds. That's not what my Bible says. Is that what your Bible says? It says that He's going to judge all people according to their deeds. That means you and I. 
See, people tend to think that, that because I make a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm not going to be judged. Well, you're not going to be judged in the sense that you're at risk of, of spending an eternity in hell. We're going to be talking about that at great lengths in this new series that we launch at an anniversary service called Good News. We're going to be in that series for a good solid three months, talking about the gospel and the good news and everything that it means. This, this verse tells us that all of us are going to be judged. We're going to be judged in the sense that we're going to have to give an account for the life that we lived. And I think part of that conversation is God's going to say to you, He's going to say to me, let's talk about how much ground that you covered. Let's talk about your Magi journey. The, 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 the distance that you closed between who you were when you made a vow of devotion to Christ and who Christ was. That gap for you, let's talk about how far, how far you made it. This, this word, according to your deeds, is a word that we've been talking about at great length over this last year. It became the name of our internship program, a nine-month internship program that we just launched this year. It's called Praxis 9. This word, Praxis, is translated deeds, and it means it's the life that characterizes you. It literally means behavior that you do on an ongoing basis. It can be good. It can be bad. It's the idea. It's what, does, what characterizes you and what characterizes me. We have good days. We have bad days. All of us have that. You're not going to be judged on your worst day. You're not going to be judged on your best day. You and I are going to be judged on what characterizes us because that's the word that God picked when He wrote the Bible. It translates deeds, but if you push by it too quickly, you don't understand the depth of the meaning. You and I are going to be judged based on what characterizes us. It sounds a lot like the word character does it, this closet of the clothes that we're supposed to wear. To be like Christ… We're going to have a conversation with him. What's that conversation going to sound like to you? What's that conversation going to sound like to me? I think uh, Denise Thomason hacked into my computer earlier this week and found some of my notes because she put this next point right on Facebook. So I, I replied, I said, hey, stay out of my computer, will you? Because her husband's an IT genius, so I'm convinced that's what happened. Genesis 26, 4 through 5. Listen to this. I will cause your descendants, this is God talking to Abraham, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your descendants and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this. Listen to what God says. He explains himself. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all, all my requirements. He obeyed, obeyed all my commands, he obeyed all my decrees, and he obeyed all my instructions. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read about Abraham, and I'd have a hard time putting the word all in there. Are you with me? If you're married, wives, you should have a really hard time putting the word all in there. We've joked about this before as a church. It, it would be as though if Vanessa and I went on a missions trip and all of a some reason I felt as though I was at risk and the only way that I could save myself would be pretend that my wife was my sister because that's what Abraham did. Goes into these foreign lands and he says, as they're riding up, right? Can you imagine getting off the plane? Okay, honey, just so you know. You're going to have to pretend to be my sister in case they want to marry you because I don't want to die. Right? Now, I don't know about how you think that conversation would go with your wife, but I can tell you how it would go with mine is that I would die that day. <laughs> a true story. Read about it yourself. So, and this isn't the only time that Abraham did some things that were questionable. Hagar, just throwing it in there. 
But yet God says, he obeyed all my commands. Now, is God given to exaggeration? Was he a little bit senile and forgot about some of these things that Abraham did? No, 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 I don't think so. And I think we understand this verse because we interpret the Bible in light of itself, that when we get to this word in Matthew where it talks about we're going to be judged according to our deeds, in the Greek word that uses praxis, which means that which characterizes us, really what God is saying about Abraham is that he was characterized as a man who obeyed God's requirements. He was characterized as a man who obeyed the commands and the decrees and the instructions. It's what characterized him. God isn't going to judge him eternally based on his, his, his reputation. His reputation is not going to be determined by his, his bad day, or it's not going to be determined by his best day, if his best day doesn't characterize him. You're tracking with me? So I'm sharing that with you because what it means is that we travel with hope. Because I don't know about you, but I've made some mistakes in my life. You made any mistakes in your life? If you can't answer yes to that, then your mistake is that you have a real problem with arrogance and pride. (laughs) Sometimes I think about mistakes that I made in my past, and it still causes me to have a very sinking feeling in my heart. How, How did I do that? But I don't travel in shame, I travel in hope because I know those mistakes of my past are not what characterizes me. And if you've got mistakes in your yesterday, now if they characterize you, that's a different conversation. You with me? That goes back to the other point where Paul said to the church of Ephesus and the church of Colossians, hey, it's about time you stop doing that. Put on the new man. Put on the new nature. But if those things don't characterize you, come on, be encouraged. Your reputation can still be that you obey it all because that's how God sees you. Because He sees us based on what characterizes us, not our momentary highs and lows. We travel with grace. We cover ground with expectation. We we, we travel with a sense of hope. Now, I want to I want to talk about these last two together, so I'm going to point back to Matthew, Matthew 16 again, this idea of judgment, and then I want to read another, one more text to you, and these two go together. Part of this idea of understanding that we're going to stand before Christ and give an account for our life is important because we have to travel with some sense of seriousness in this life. Are you with me? I think it's a big deal that I'm going to have to stand in front of Jesus, and He's going to want to talk to me about how I lived. I'm not just going to sneak in with this big crowd into heaven, right? Hope he doesn't see me. No, no, no. Every person is going to have an individual, personal. You think the line at DMV is bad? Oh, come on. How long have you been standing here? 5,000 years. 5,000. How about you? How much time you got in, right? We're going to step up. He's going to be on his throne. And it's going to be like nobody else is there. He's going to talk to me. That's some serious stuff. Serious stuff. He's watching us. He's paying attention. He's got plans and purposes for us. We're not going to ever close all of that ground. We're not going to cover it all. But let's at least cover the ground that was possible for us. Let's cover that ground. 
I understand that there's a part of Christianity that makes my heart overflow with joy. And we hope you've tasted some of that tonight. Part of this journey together, there's moments of levity where we, we, we laugh together. There's times when we get together and do fun things about things that don't matter. It's just, it's just part of the human experience. God wants us to enjoy it. But there's a part of this life that's serious, that's sobering, that's eternally significant. We want to be a church that deposits that in you, that you walk with a sense of understanding the sacredness of the opportunity that we've been given in this life to become like Christ. Matthew 25. I'm not going to read all of this parable because it's, it's quite long. Matthew 25, I would encourage you to read it in its entirety. I'm going to start reading in, I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip, and he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags to another one, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, right? Because he doesn't expect of us more than we're capable. Then he leaves on his trip. Now, I'm going I'm to jump down. I'm going to jump down to verse 26 right? Because he's worked through the first one. He's worked through the second one. They did all great things. They multiplied the money. The, 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 uh, the master's proud of these, these other two. He gets to the third one, he, and, 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 and the third one says, but master, I replied, no, no, no. All right, let me get to verse 24. Then the server with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man and harvesting crops you didn't plan and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I was, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth, and look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to one of the, the one with the ten bags of silver. For to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. They will have abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken from them. Oh, you think it's bad enough already. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. These parables are intended to teach us about Jesus. We call this scary Jesus here at the City Life Church. And what is this about? This is about this last point that I want to take, uh, how we're supposed to travel, and it goes with this idea of, of seriousness. So I, how I understand this parable is that this is part of God saying there's a lot of people that misunderstand who God is, and it's their own fault. Because there's more than enough in the world to reveal the nature of the goodness of God. And the, people, the reason why people like to cling to these false ideas about God, because it gives them a sense of permission to be lazy with their life. And God says, that's no excuse. No excuse. And, and, and part of what this parable, and we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but this is a partner parable to a parable that you find in Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Yes. And, 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 and the reason why I believe he now gets thrown into this place of outer darkness, which is what 
the Bible refers to as hell so oftentimes in the Gospels, right? Not only is he chastised for what he didn't do, but now there's this punishment that's eternal in nature. Like, where does that fit into the doctrine of grace? Well, you've got to understand this parable through the teaching of Matthew 7, that this person was a pretender, an imposter, someone who pretended to be a part of the Father's house, but deep in their heart, they never were. Oh, they looked like it on the outside. They had title. They had the right circle of friends. But deep in their heart, there was duplicity. Deep in their heart, they were never His. They lived a lie their whole life. Can I tell you there are eternal consequences to living a lie your whole life? It's serious business. We're going to be talking about that in our, in our gospel series called The Good News. So this last point I'm leaving with you, not only are we supposed to travel with a sense of sincerity, but we're supposed to travel, I mean, travel with a sense of seriousness. We're supposed to travel with a sense of sincerity. Sincerity and authenticity is a huge part of our church. It should be a huge part of any church because of this. We don't want people to have to pretend to be something that they're not because the devil gets them trapped there, and then sometimes they breathe their last, and that's all that characterized them in this life and it doesn't end well for them. See, at City Life, we say, be who you are. Be who you are. Don't hide your junk. Don't hide your issues. Don't hide your questions. Now, we might be like Paul and step up into your life and say there's some things that you've got to get rid of out of your closet, but let's do it together. And we know it's going to take time, but we're going to be patient with you. See, authenticity is not either permission to not change. Authenticity is so that your heart can get into a place where it can change. The devil likes that you're hiding because he will keep you there. The moment you begin to open up your life, something begins to happen. The Bible calls it the soil of your heart becomes fertile and beautiful things to begin to grow in a place like that. I want the worship team to come back up. I'll tell you a little story, kind of sets up where we're going to be heading for the next couple of weeks. So, I, I like to, to, to learn. I, I like to, to try new things. I, I like to tinker with stuff and figure out how it, it works. And so, my car recently, I noticed my brakes weren't working especially right, and I'm getting ready to, we're getting ready to start teaching uh, Derek, our oldest, how to drive, and he's going to use th- this car to get started. And, and uh, so, you know, I wanted it just right. So, I did the inspection early, and, but I knew the brakes were a little mushy, and so I was talking to uh, Alan Smith, who goes here, does a lot of mechanic work, and, and uh, I was telling about the symptoms, and I, I said, I think it probably needs a new brake master cylinder, and he says, I, I think so too. And so, I said, I think I'm going to try to do that myself. I do some little stuff, right, with change, swapping parts, changing the oil. I could, you know, the battery, the starter, simple stuff. But, but, but as far as the, like a system that involves the stopping of your car, right, there's a weightiness to that. But I'm going to try it, right? So about eight hours later, right, for this job that should take you about 90 minutes and about 400 texts and phone calls to Alan, right? So can, you, can I just hire you now to come help me figure out this mess, Right? I came in the house that night, I kid you not, I looked like I'd been soaking in a bathtub for about three days from all the brake oil, I mean brake fluid, right, that was saturated on my hands. I was so frustrated, so frustrated. So he came over the next day, and he, he does an amazing job if you need some mechanics work, and I, I hired him to, an hour in, he says, you bought a bad part. 
Oh yeah, that'll make you want to say some words that shouldn't be in your closet. Honey, tell the kids to hold their ears. That's just right. That's not fair. If something's broken, you can do all the right steps. But you're never going to get anywhere. And over these next couple of weeks, what we're going to be talking about together is sometimes how you get stuck. So you can do all these things that we're talking about tonight, but if there's something broken, you're not going to cover any ground. You're not going to cover any ground. That's the beauty of community. If you're here and you're looking for a church to call home, we don't care whether or not it's this church, but find one that you can call home somewhere. Because you need people that you can call. Because you might not even be able to see the stuff that's broken in your life. You need somebody to come in and say, hey, we got to fix that. Because if you don't fix that, nothing else is going to happen for you. Stand with me as we worship. Father, we know that there's a sacredness to this night for many reasons. Because it's a new year. Because this campus is going to plant because we've got new staff coming on board and people taking on new roles and babies being born and then being dedicated unto the Lord and we know all of that is exciting God and all of that is 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 important but we don't ever want that stuff that's so visible to overshadow the importance of the ind- every individual that's in every seat tonight that father this service is about every person that's here So as we sing this song together, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause every person to feel like this was just for them, that we came just for them tonight, for them to hear from you, for them to be touched by you, for them to be changed by you, just for them, everyone. Let's worship together.